This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You're in the locker room. Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas, ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio, when we're actually we're down two because our man Max is out and uh, Jacob's got to do some de- deals here. We're going to welcome into the locker room a good friend, Coach Tom Bradley. Coach, how you doing? Going great, Wolf. How's your New Year going so far? Any New Year resolutions? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pay more attention to defensive back technique. That's my new <laughs> oh, oh, the T step, back pedal, break on the ball. Oh Lord, it's be good. Hand placement. I can't wait. Oh, we're gonna have it all. We're gonna get it all together, brother. Now I got to ask you something because one guy that really stood out to me. And one of the things that happened in Cleveland was the fact they went a lot of man coverage. I mean, a whole lot of man coverage. And the guy, Akello Witherspoon, just seemed to excel in that that sort of coverage. Yeah, boy, he sure did. I I thought that was a a great game plan that Coach Butler and those guys had. I I thought that was really, really special. And just uh, they played a lot of they They challenged him. And, you know, New Baker was not, you know, at the top of his game and, and, and they, they took it away from it. And as we start, said last week, one of the great things with the Steelers, if they start fast and then they can do what they want to do, it's not then they can run the ball and mix it up, and, and, and it makes it a little bit tougher on the opponents. You know, a lot of people, like myself included, one of the things I'm kind of like uh, scratching my head, when you got a Nick Chubb who may be the most explosive and certainly uh, the most dy- one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL, uh they seem to use them much, and they put the ball in hands. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm Kevin Stefanski, why am I doing that when, in fact, you have such an, uh, an awesome rushing attack available to you? Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. That you know, what they were trying to get done didn't make much sense to me. I, I just felt like they didn't want to be patient. You know, you, you know, sometimes it's better just to do that, be patient. I don't. The defense was a little bit banged up, and it gives you a chance to rest them. So I was really surprised that. More once again, the Steelers got off to a good start too, so that helps them. When you're a, as a defensive coordinator, which you've been, and a head coach, which, which you've been, but as a defensive coordinator, when you see the offense go out there and put some points up early, do you start to smile, thinking you know you can let the dogs of war run out there a little bit? Yeah, it, it gets to be a lot of fun, and and one of the things that I've always liked as a defensive coordinator was. The running game because boy that that running game's nice when they're just getting first downs and chewing up the clock and you're standing there watching hey there's another way to go another first down <laughs> hey so uh you know it's kind of it's kind of fun when you when you get running the ball and, and then your guys are, are are playing great on defense it, it, it makes for a real fun afternoon you know you look at a guy like cam sutton and a guy like joe hayden uh joe joe just to me he's the consummate pro I'm unfortunately, by the way, he's ended up on the COVID list um, for this for right now. So we'll have to see. He does not make him ineligible automatically for the Baltimore game, but we'll see if uh, he's able to come back. But a guy like Joe and and, and James Pierre and, and you know James Pierre struggled some. He made some advancements this year, but he's a young guy that I think still has some upside. What do you see in these players here, like the Anikello? Well, like, so, Doctor Bob, you know, you know, one of the great things you mentioned. Um, Joe Hayden and, and a lot of coached a lot of guys over the years. Not not a better person out there than Joe Hayden. So I wish him a speedy recovery from the COVID. 
Uh, he's, he's just a, a wonderful person and a wonderful teammate to all these guys. And I see these young guys. I see Coach Austin doing a great job with these young guys and you know, bringing them along. You know, no one knew their names. Now they're starting to hear their names, and they're doing some good work. And every week you can watch, and they're getting better, you know, here and there. And I think that that's uh, going to bode well for the Steelers secondary. Uh, hopefully if we can just get in the playoffs, you know, anyway, anyhow. You know, strange things happen. You've been a part of some of those deals, and – so let's just see. But I'm really impressed with the, what those young guys have done. And you can see them get better every week, you know, and that's a real tribute to the guys coaching them. Absolutely. Now, one of the other things, too, that, that happened was, and I, 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 the one thing about Nick Chubb, I mean, the guy is unbelievable, but I thought the first play from scrimmage when you saw Robbie, Robert Spillane just buzz that B-gap, blow it up, and what, tackle for loss for two yards. I thought that set a tone also that maybe – I wonder how much that might have influenced Stefanski or did it even influence Stefanski. So that I don't know. It was so early in the game, um, but it was it was a way – it was a tone setter. There was no doubt about it. It was like, hello. And um, so it just – I don't think it did, though. I just was surprised at their game plan. Uh, right. They just got him so quickly. Well, you look at Robert Spillane, UG3, and Marcus Allen. I thought they all showed up well in various, uh, you know, it's filling their gaps, whether it's chasing from the backside. They all did what you expected or wanted to see from your interior linebackers, including more of a downhill bang and attacking at the line of scrimmage. Now, the one, the one thing was that, and I think the bread and butter for Cleveland is that you know, like we used to call it a toss sixteen U, toss seventeen U, you know, but they, they, they hand it off from the shotgun. But it's about pulling the the center, pulling the guard, and being able to kick out and wrap around, whatever. And, you know, that to me, they that one run Gub got away with, but that was the only run, the thirty two yarder or whatever it was, that was the only real uh gaff I saw in the run in the run defense. Yeah, no question about it. Like you know, like some people call it the downtown come around, right? Right. But, um, you know, it, no matter what you say, it that the Steelers really uh, that was only the one big play they allowed to give up. Uh, and Wolf, I I want to make sure I send my condolences to Max. Too. Oh yes. I know with his father, you know, with Max, and and hopefully we can get Coach Butler back soon from his COVID. And, yes. Um, yes. A couple of things are going on, and everybody else is kind of coming off the list. Banner, Bush, you know, oh, yeah. and Schober. We're getting the whole team back here for the last game. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, the other thing, I really wanted to congratulate Coach Tomlin. You know, 15 years without a losing season set an NFL record. So, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a heck of a body over those 15 years. You know what? That's true. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, we we touched on it a little bit yesterday, but 15 years is significant. 15 years um, is a hard – that's hard to carry the same message, to be singularly focused, to be the lead dog in the room and stand up and, and, and you know, address all the issues in, in that leadership capacity and not lose the message nor lose the locker room and the guys. That's a tough thing to do. It sure is, and you've been there and, – and- that's I think what you just said is really important that he was able to do that that, that message and and they bought the message okay, right for all that time you know different guys and a lot of guys that have been there a long time still buying the message so you know that's a real tribute to Coach Tomlin and um, you know I'm sure he got, he's got a lot of winning seasons left in him so let's let's hope uh, get another get 
got this year, I know that means nothing to him. He's thinking about one thing, right? Get into the playoffs. Let me ask you this. Watching the game, I'm sure you watched the game Monday night. What were your thoughts watching Ben and, and seeing, you know, I, that was, to me, that was one of the most amazing moments of uh, love being poured out on an athlete in a city. Uh, I thought it was just incredible. It was very emotional. I think Coach Tomlin tried to call that timeout to get that one last place he could go back out there and get. Yeah. The game was kind of, it was kind of, he tried though. I know what he was thinking there. Uh, really emotional for a lot of people, and uh, you know, to do what he's done for what's it, eighteen years now is a real tribute. And, and you know, like I was telling people, you're not going to see another one like that for a long time. So go enjoy him, okay? Because uh, they're few and far between guys with the way he plays and and you know the toughness that he displays and all the, the great things about him are they don't they don't happen very often so it's a pleasure to watch him and and I thought the emotion the pouring out by the fans was um you know I expected it but uh, it was it was it was moving you know if you watch it on TV uh, it's yes. very moving to a real tribute to him uh, and not only him the the guys on the team and the whole Steeler organization you know it was funny because when he made that little horseshoe and then uh, came back across and sat on the bench. You know, I, I bet you he was in his mind talking a little bit to Marquise Pouncey, too. You think about the difference between when he and Marquise sat there a year ago after the, the Browns playoff, uh, the the win that the Browns pulled off in the playoffs, and then, you know, this past Sunday, or Monday, I'm sorry. Um, that, that had to be like a, I don't know, just a moment that you kind of take in because he certainly looked like he was enjoying it. And I, I wish Marquise Pouncey could have been there. That would have been really something nice to see Marquise sitting alongside him on the bench, even in civvies. You know what I mean? That would have been a very poignant moment. You know, it's interesting you say that because somebody mentioned Jesus thinking it just activated for one play to go snap the ball one more time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that would have been good. And, hey, Wolf, I got you hooked up at LP Steamers down there. I know you like your steam crabs. and steam Oh, crabs. yeah. Where's you this? Know? Yeah. Just put it on my tab, okay? Oh, I'm gladly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, anytime, anytime you're gonna hand out that card, baby, you know I'm all for it, man. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just not gonna tell you where the place is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all right. We got the internet. We'll find it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coach, when you you look you look at the, this last game coming up now as a head coach, how do you keep the guys focused on the play on the field? looking at the scoreboard, worrying, wondering what Jacksonville could be doing. Well, they just got to take care of their business. They know that. I mean, to me, this is should be a hard-fought, low-scoring football game. It always is. And, uh, of course, everything rolls around, you know, what is Lamar Jackson's situation, okay? Because that depends. You know, a lot of how you get ready for them defensively is going to depend do they have that. But it doesn't matter, really, because between these two organizations, and you've seen a lot of these games, played in these games, these are knockdown, drag out football games. Uh, I just look for a low scoring, you know, tough, hard hitting game, and uh, uh, and see what happens from there. Were you just as amazed as as I was at uh, T.J. Watt and his display of defensive prowess on the field there Monday night? I mean, the four sacks, the fact that uh, you could have the, the the football intelligence to recognize. I don't know, the possibility of down-distance formation enough that you would back off and, and play in a passing lane when you know that the quarterback's a little bit uh, vertically challenged like some other people on this show. Maybe not necessarily <laughs> Jacob, but, you know. I 
<laughs> you know, Coach Bradley's about the same size as you, Jacob. So, <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, boy, oh boy, that's your first shot of the new year. Yeah, um, there you go, my uh, friend. More to come, though. Yes, um, that, I'm not surprised at all. I think TJ Watt's the best defensive football player in the NFL right now, in, in a lot of different ways, and um, and to getting his game together, not just physically, mentally, doing it all, and. Uh, you know, uh, he just you know to think the number of sacks he's had, and he's missed at least two games, right? Right. Um, it Parts kind of, of two makes more. you wonder what it's, if he could stay healthy uh, through the whole thing. But just impressive because it, it, you know, being watching him work as hard as he works, and it's just not the the physical part of his work. If you look at the mental part of his work and the time he spends studying film, looking for every tiny edge he can find, and and that's what makes him the the, the great player that he is. You know, it's amazing to me. He was named this uh, the defensive player of the week for the AFC this past week. That's the third time this year that he's gotten it. He's the other two were against uh, Seattle and the December fifth game with the Ravens. So in the eleven games that he's fully played, from you know from uh, whistle to uh, the opening whistle and to the uh, you know the the, the gun. This guy has been the defensive player of the week three times, three out of eleven. That I, 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 I kind of—it's hard to wrap your brain around that. It sure is, but you know when you watch him play, you, you can understand why. Yeah, um, just a tremendous attribute to him. And you know when he's being able to do that, you, you really got to remember there's some guys inside doing some good work. There's some other doing some good work too that allows him to to do what he does. You know to do the things that he does. So usually when that's happening, TJ would be probably the first guy to tell you that the, you know, there's other guys in the team that are on that defensive side that are doing some good work too. One of the guys that I think is, does some good work is Isaiah Loudermilk. You know when when this season started, I thought maybe we'd hear this guy's name in the off season. You know he's putting in some good work. He's got some. He's squatting. He's eating some uh, Omaha steaks and everything else. And he's building up the hindquarters and the backside. And he's gonna be somebody that's going to come along next year. And by the third year, he's going to be you know one of those guys like Brett Kiesel, like Aaron Smith, one of those guys that developed along the lines of the uh, the way you want him to. And here, this guy's really put in some serious snaps and really has done a good job coming along. Yeah, he sure has. We give a lot of tribute to a guy you love as Carl Dunbar, his coach, who Carl right. done a great job with that guy. And, you know, you got to give credit to him because he, like you, wasn't sure if he, you know, how many snaps he'd get out of him. Was it a next year guy, developmental year? Hasn't been the case. You could see his improvement uh, week to week. And so it's really helped the defense with, especially with a lot of those injuries that have happened in there. When you take a look at the Baltimore Ravens and you see that they've given up 54 sacks as an offensive unit, and you've let's face it, you got mobile quarterbacks there, right? I mean, with Lamar Jackson or Huntley or any of these guys, I mean, they're they're pretty mobile dudes. You got to be thinking to yourself that okay, um, good chance that TJ is going to set that Mike Strahan record uh, and break it and, and set a maybe add a couple sacks to the top end of it. Boy, if he doesn't, I'll be surprised, okay, because this is going to be the week with that line. It's been like a turnstile in there for Baltimore, and it's going to be one of those hello um, shots, but it's coming, and um, I, I think he's going to do it. Uh, it's a big game. It's a big game, and, and, and it, like I said, it, as you know, it's going to be one of those physical, hard-hitting, it's going to be the typical Raven-Steeler uh, game. Absolutely. 
Well, Coach Bradley, I want to thank you so very much for joining us in the locker room here. And by the way, what was the name of that restaurant? And what's your card number? <laughs> you know what? I got that's called Sudden Change Wolf, and I can't remember. <laughs> Thanks so much, Coach. I appreciate you. That coach, Tom talk Bradley. To All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, we'll be back with more because Jerry Dulac from the Post-Gazette is coming up. More in the locker room right here. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody. Appreciate you hanging with us. It's a great day in the locker room, as it always is. We even got the big boy studio here. Jacob's been hanging out with me because Ninja Jacob is just one of those guys you got to have because they get things done. I don't know about pushing knobs and everything else here. There's just so many. But I do love all the multiple colored knobs because, you know what, you want to just push those things. But I know one somebody I know somebody that does like to push those knobs. That would be the great Jerry Dulac. Jerry, are you there, my friend? Wolf, I am here, my friend. I hope you are well. And it's a little chilly outside today. <laughs> Indeed. Now, Jerry, I'm sorry, but I, I lost the promotion thing. Are you brought to us by anybody that I can promote? Yeah, Wolf, I'm brought to you by, I can't remember the whole thing, the <laughs> Chupka's 2 Cafe on the south side, where they have many, many, many TVs, indoor-outdoor patio, where you certainly aren't going to go outdoor today. But uh, you can enjoy uh, a buckets of Coors Light. That's about the best I got for you. You're awesome. You're awesome. I'll tell you too. Chupka's has great food. All right, I, I yes, can say do. that definitively. We have been there. We've done shows there. That is just a great place when you want to hang out and you want to eat some good hunky food. You know, what I mean, that's that's spectacular. So good. Then we absolutely. give them a little extra yeah, pub there. So my friend, uh, absolutely. Did they did they have the the coordinators meetings yet? Well, Wolf, uh, you know, with these new restrictions, uh, these new protocols, um, you know, you're not every day. I have to pick and choose because I like to let my colleagues go uh, occasionally. Right. And so today, one, today is not a day I am there, although I was just down at the facility taping TV for tonight. But, uh, you know, Keith Butler was uh, as on the was put on the COVID list uh, yesterday, so he wasn't there. But they did meet with Matt Canada, but I did. I was not there because of these new protocols. Well, the only reason I was saying that was because I thought Mike Tomlin might have to step in for for Butsy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, he he actually, he actually is, um, but that will be this afternoon after practice. But same deal. <laughs> I can't be there today because of these protocols. So. Well, you're just you're just too busy, though. You got all kinds of stuff going on. You are the cool breeze. Yeah, That's just the it, way it goes. I had it. I, 
I had to take TV. I had to move it up because I said, fellas, I have to be on with Wolf and Max <laughs> at eleven twenty. So we got to get this thing going. So uh, yeah, I had to. I made sure that I always set aside the eleven twenty on Thursday morning. Well, I appreciate you, and of course, you know that uh, I'm sure that Max is not here with us today because his father passed away. Ross Browner. I saw um, it. Yeah, and, and, and if you recall, you know, go ahead. Wolf, the other day, do you remember? You remember in the in the booth the other day? Well, before we went on the air, I asked Max about his dad uh, because I said, "Tell me the story again. How you discovered, uh, you know, that that Ross Browner was your father? Because he didn't know for a number of years. Yes. And part of it, where the confirmation came, where we saw a picture of Ross Browner, and they go, "Oh yeah." <laughs> that's my dad because he could, because of the resemblance. But yeah, I, I saw that and I, I uh, feel bad uh, for Max and I sympathies to him and his family. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's ironic because I just asked him about his dad two days ago. That is, that is ironic indeed. I remember that conversation. So let me ask you something. What was, what were your thoughts when Ben took the, the lap at the end of or at the end of the game uh, Monday night, it was tremendous. I don't think I can remember a love fest like that, an outpouring of such emotion. It was very touching to me, way up in the booth. You know, I might have even gotten a little bit of allergies going on there, man. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, Wolf, I I agree with you. I what I thought two things that I thought were were cool was one, it, it, I I'm glad that Ben. Uh, uh, let it out last week that, uh, you know, that Monday was likely his final game at Hinesfield, which it is. Um, and, and that gave everybody the opportunity to come out, thank him, appreciate him, pass along their love or whatever it is they feel. And no, and I had, I brought this up with Art Rooney the second, the team owner and president. And I said, I don't recall, uh, you know, any player ever, uh, any of the great players uh, having an instance like that because there, uh, there was never a circumstance where any of the great players announced that it was likely their last game. So that gave the people this opportunity, and we've never seen that before, whether at Three Rivers or Heinz Field. And so what we saw the other night from the beginning when they chanted, let's go, Ben, and it ended, thank you, Ben, you can right. tell that the crowd was hoping against hope that not only would he throw a touchdown or do something spectacular, but you could also tell that the last thing they wanted to see was a pick six or a scoop and score fumble from Ben or something like that. They were hoping there would be no disasters. And they got what they came to see, which was one, a win. And I just thought it was so impressive and so cool that all those fans remained mm. 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the game to just take in uh, Ben's victory lap, just being on the field, watching that. I mean, Wolf, pretty much almost half the stadium was still there, certainly a third of the stadium around just to be a part of that. And that uh, was very cool for Ben. It was cool to see. And, um, you know, uh, we hadn't seen anything like that, uh, you know, after a game from any of the great Steeler players through both stadiums, and I was, you know, glad to be a part of it, glad to see it. You know, the two coolest parts about it was, well, the one was just that when they said thank you, Ben, that that just was so cool. What a classy group yeah. is Steelers Nation to do that, you know. Then he sat on the bench, and I thought, 
I wish Marquise Pouncey had been able to come up for the game and could have joined him there right. and give that real, like, remember a year ago type of thing, <laughs> and then oh, here yeah. we are. And, oh, the la- yeah. and the last thing was watching the Roethlisberger family, uh, Ben and his wife Ashley and kids and mom and dad, just going up the players' tunnel together alone, I thought was just, uh, that was a great picture. You know, there, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, a, a couple things struck me. One, you know, he left his helmet on the whole time. I'm yeah. sure it's the kind of hide the tears. Yeah. Um, two, you could tell he, one, didn't want to leave the field, or two, was walking around somewhat aimlessly like he wasn't sure what he what he wanted to do yeah. <laughs> or yeah. what he should do next, which is like why he went over and sat on the bench was like, what, to sit on the bench one more time. He, I, I, he, it's like he just was, didn't want to go but didn't know what he should be doing, and he just kind of wanted to just stay out there until whenever it was time to go. And, yeah, when his family came out, um, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, and that was that was really nice. So, and that's what meant that's what meant the most for him to him. Not that they came out just, you know, that, 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 I mean, that's, that's his life and that's his support unit. And they were there. And I asked him about that yesterday. You know, I, I told him, I, I said, I remember Wolf when Tiger Woods won the masters a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. he said, probably the most special thing was that his son uh, and daughter got to see, they were now at an age where they got to see what their dad used to be. Yeah, a Masters champion, and that was important for him to, to for them to see, you know, him in on that stage, you know, in victory again. And I asked Ben if that's what, you know, that was part of what was satisfying to him, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely." Kids are of the age, uh, you know, finally where you know they could appreciate that and they'll remember that moment. And uh, you know, those are the things; those are the things you remember the rest of your life because your kids remember and the kids were your kids were old enough to be a part of it. You know, Jerry, one of the things that the, one of the stories that comes out from this this whole season that is just so powerful again is the dominance of TJ Watt and watching him again being the third third time defensive player of the week in the AFC, 11 complete games he's played, three times he's been defensive player of the week. My goodness, the, your thoughts on TJ Watt and the possibility of him busting up Mike uh, Strahan's sack record. Yeah, I'll be curious to see, um, uh, you know, what happens Sunday. You know, um, I'm sure nobody on the Ravens offensive line wants to be the guy who, one, gives up a sack, but two, gives up an NFL (laughs) record-setting sack. Um, You better believe it, baby. Right. What he's been able to do, Wolf, you know, missing – two games and parts of three or four others and uh, posting those numbers. We know one thing, there will be no asterisk next to his name if he sets the record that he did it in a 17-game season because he didn't even do it in a 16-game season. Um, (laughs) That that performance the other night on national TV cemented his Defensive Player of the Year award. There is no way – Anybody who was even remotely undecided and thinking, eh, well, you know what, Aaron Donald deserves it, or the guy, the corner in Dallas deserves it, which is ridiculous. Micah Parsons doesn't deserve it either. He has his own award, which is Defensive Rookie of the Year. Right. He's been tremendous. Nobody hasn't been T.J. Watt. Nobody has. And, uh, you know, five uh, quarterback hits, two passes defensed, four sacks, 
Hey, come on, that they might as well just hand it to him now because he took the suspense out of it. And you know what? Rightfully so. And uh, it was. You know, Wolf, the two greatest defensive performances in history, Joe Green in Houston when the whole team was sick and beat up and injured, and he all by himself yep. uh, registered five and blocked a field goal. Um, that was number one. James Harrison with his, uh, what was it, five sacks, I think, against the Ravens. Right. If you remember, on a, on a Monday night or Sunday night game, yep. that was number two. And what T.J. Watt did uh, Monday night to me was number three. Boy, those, that's that's great. I I literally forgot about the uh, James Harrison. Yeah, I remember. The, the one I, I remember, he, a guy tried to tackle him on an interception. Who was it? Um, Derek right. Mason. I was down on the sidelines. Yeah. What what I had to laugh at was James stopped running towards the goal line and, and proceeded to lock out on the throat of Derek Mason, the wide receiver, and then drive him in, into the ground on the out of bounds. Like you're gonna tack, try to tackle me. <laughs> he slammed yeah, Derek Mason right. so hard. I remember I got yeah. I, I got out of the way and he got up and Derek Mason had this look on his face was that was stupid of me to, to do that. <laughs> It was funny, right. and and I and I and I think Wolf. I think he had like three and a half uh, sacks in the first half or something. Yes, it was just a dominating performance. And you know the interception and I'd like a forced fumble. Yeah, I mean, it was just incredible what he did that night. And uh, like I said, that ranks behind the Joe Green performance, which is you know I think everybody understands what yeah. he did that day. I mean, it brought tears to Chuck Knoll's eyes uh, after the game. The way Joe just single handedly with everybody injured or sick or already out of the game and got hurt in the game and doing it all by himself. I want to say they won like 9-3 to three or something. You're right. He and figured all in all the scoring because he also forced a yeah, fumble yeah. and he blocked the field goal. Right. So you're right, right on. Right. And uh, Yeah, and, and the significance of what he did in that moment and picking up the team all by himself was certainly number one. James Harrison's two, T.J. Watt Monday night to me is number three. Before I let you go, I got to get you, I got to get your um, thoughts on Najee and what a great performance that was because he was simply everything that you thought he was going to be this year. And when you look at the totality of his work, that's an unbelievable year this young man's had. Yeah, 188 yards, Wolf, and you know this better than I. You 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 saw holes open up where he could run downhill, and what we've seen the last couple games are some breakout runs, 20 yards, 21 yards, 23 yards, 37-yard touchdown. And, of course, we got the ragdoll toss again of a defensive back. You know, his his ability to just move that pile is incredible to me. And, And yet the good news was being able to hit some holes and get the seven- and eight-yard runs consistently and then tack on a couple more. Uh, you know, just dragging defenders with him or pushing the pile. And, yeah, it was very impressive, but you have to give props to the offensive line. Um, You know, really strong performance, opening some holes for him to be able to run downhill. No question about it. I'm taking a little bit of an informal poll real quick. All right, MJ Stewart in the the, uh, lockout he had on him, that was beautiful. Was it better or worse than the Week 2 Raiders lockout on Jonathan Abrams when he put Abrams in the air with a half twist? I mean, that was the right. full money lockout on, on Jonathan Abrams. I go with the Raiders one, but the only problem is MJ Stewart, that run broke Franco's rookie rushing record. So where's your vote land on that? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, the one against the Raiders, 
was uh, more impressed because the guy went airborne and backward. <laughs> and and uh, that one was that one was the most impressive. But it's nice to see a, a follow up just to remind everybody, hey, you know, I can I can do this again. And he did it. And uh, hey, we see that stuff. We see that stuff from Derrick Henry. And, um, you know, that for, you know, hey, hey look, it's going to happen every now and then. But he's done it twice now in a season. You think guys would be ready for it, try, you know, thinking hey, I ain't going to get tossed like that. But they did. And, uh, yeah, Najee's been a very – he's very impressive wolf on the field, but he's very impressive off the field when we talk to him. You know, he says the right things. He handles himself. He's thoughtful with his answers. You know, he doesn't just spout the right from the coaches uh, – from coach speak. Um, you know, and so he's a – He's an impressive guy who was brought along wonderfully in that system in Alabama, both on the field and off. And, uh, you know, and his durability, Wolf, let's face it. That oh. guy's taken a pounding. Yes. How many times he touches it more than anybody in the National Football League. And is there's the, the, the least little sign of him even being bothered by it or slowing down. Very impressive to see, no question. If there was a rookie wall, there is no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's because he ran through it or shoved it to the ground, one of the two. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Jerry Dulek. Thank you so much for coming in and being a big part of the locker room this year. As always, we appreciate you so very much, Do. And, Wolf, I will see you uh, down at the Inner Harbor on the weekend. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, brother. That's Jerry Dulek brought to you by Chupka's Cafe on the south side. They are, that's just a great place to eat. Go see the Chupkas down there because I know the guys, they're great and the food is great and everything else is great. So enjoy yourself. Be there. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate you so much. And we'll be back to close the show after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. All right, welcome back, everybody. Last se- last second uh, making, making, uh, game time decisions as we're coming to the final segment here. One of the things that I'm so happy about, I'm rejoined by uh, Ninja Jacob, and I appreciate you sitting in with me, Jacob. So very nice of you, my friend. I mean, it's uh, a comfy chair, man. It is. Well, you know what? It moves up and down. Tom Bradley would like it, you know, because, you know, they always said whenever he, he came into a room that, uh, you know, he would pump his chair up the highest because he's a short. I have to. You know? Oh, yeah. Just throw that out there. Just throw me under the bus and throw me up in my chair on my high chair. <laughs> All right. Well, one of the things I'm looking forward to, obviously, and going back to number one you go back to Baltimore, you got the Ravenites. Um, this is going to be a hostile crowd. It's interesting that Ben would go from the love fest that occurred in Pittsburgh to a very hostile crowd who has seen um, nearly two decades of, of Ben coming down there. And, yes. You know, that's going to be, I would think, a fiercely fought game. And it's going to be interesting to me because they're bringing in Terrell Suggs as their legend. Yeah, how, how do you about feel that? about that? How do you feel? You know, if Ben wasn't, didn't get this reception he got last week. If it, I think even if it was a game where the world was tuned in to see Ben go out, uh, you know, into the sunlight out of Heinz Field with his family in hand and everything, I don't think Baltimore does that. If it's a you one o'clock, so? I don't th- no, I don't think they bring in Suggs because I think if it's a one o'clock game, the only people who see this the Ben reception is 
is Steelers fans who get the game locally. That's it, right? You're not you're not having it in a national spotlight. I think Baltimore saw what we did with Ben last week and said, we can't let Ben <laughs> have the spotlight again because it is his last week now. This is going to be his last game. We we assume, right? We we don't know what's going to happen. Now remember but, when you assume what that means. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> what, what's the saying? How's Makes the saying a go? donkey out of okay, you and there me. There it goes. So. It, I, I, Baltimore cannot let Ben have two weeks in a row where it's all about him. So, I mean, he's not going to suit up and play. He's been retired for, what, right. two years or something? But, right. you know, Terrell Suggs, he loves the game. You know, ask Max Starks. They came into the league together in the same year. Uh, Max loves the game, too. If you could say, hey, you want to come back one more time to beat up on the guy <laughs> that tortured you for 18 years? Hell yeah, they're going to take that chance. But obviously he's not going to do that. But Baltimore is going to try to do anything to swing momentum in their favor, especially when... I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to be out there and Baltimore and Pittsburgh are going to be both fighting for a playoff chance. Now it's obviously not entirely reliant on their outcome, but they have to win, right? The first thing you got to do is win your game. So Baltimore, I think is going to try to do everything they can to swing momentum into their favor by bringing in Suggs. I mean, he's not going to do the Ray Lewis, you know, coming out of the tunnel dance, dance whatever, whatever you want to call that move. But I'm sure he, he's probably behind Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Terrell Suggs as the next guy up in terms of being able to motivate a Baltimore crowd. I would guess so. You know, I wonder if they're going to go. Uh, he, he might go with the, the warrior mask that he had. Yeah, he that does that. That sort of thing, yeah. you know. He, he had some that. sort of road warrior type mask. And he came out. With, I remember they had smoke and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And the crowd did go pretty bananas over this dude. And, and who can forget? That game uh, somewhere, you know, where uh, he held off Suggs with one hand and threw the incomplete yeah. with the other before he threw Many a touchdown people, pass. Many people, Bob Labriola, Chris Collinsworth on that broadcast have called it the greatest incompletion in NFL history. I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's great. I, re- I, I, This is going to age me in a, in a good way. I was in, uh, shoot, ninth grade. I was a sophomore in high school <laughs> when that play happened. And I remember I was, you know, obviously I was with my parents and, my dad went to bed, but he he like he had a TV in his room, so he was watching the game in his room. I was downstairs in the in the TV room by myself because he had he was like I I, I just want to be in bed too, so I don't have to stay up late and then have to get ready for bed. I'm just gonna get ready for bed and watch the rest of the game in bed because the Steelers were down, right? Right. They had to score that touchdown in order to go up, but it came from the three plays that you always remember. It's the Troy Polamalu strip sack where right. he came like a bullet oh, right yeah. off the line of scrimmage. And then a couple plays later was the Ben Roethlisberger avoiding of Terrell Suggs. And then the the next play or two plays later was Isaac Redman digging and dumping and doing all kinds of all kind of moves just to get three yards into the end zone. He got into the end zone. You know what I, re- I remember screaming. I'm waking up my parents. I'm waking up my sisters. And I, like my dad comes right downstairs like, I can't believe I went to bed. I can't believe it. No, I mean, we were having a blast. That was great. Yeah, that's that's only that's. Only the youth in you could, like, remember all the details and that joy. Uh, there are only certain games that you can remember that, but that right. game was special. I mean, that game won them the division. You know what I remember about that game? Isaac Redman, I was outside the locker room as Mike Tomlin is greeting each player coming in. Mm-hmm. James Harrison and Ben were out on the field doing uh, reports, mm-hmm. you know, with the national TV. 
but they had Isaac out there because he scored the, the yeah, touchdown. Yeah, the game-winning touchdown, yeah. So they're coming up the tunnel, and Mike is waiting on the three of them, and, and Isaac is kind of lagging. He goes, hey, Isaac, pick it up, because if you want to stay out on the field with guys like yeah. Ben and James, right. Right, you got to do more than catch a touchdown pass at the end of the game to win it. It was hilarious. And I thought, but what it also said, it said to a young Isaac Redman, hey, listen, you gotta, you, there's more – to your game than just doing that if you want sure. to be out there oh, with those yeah, guys. Absolutely. It was just it was always a teaching I mean at that point Mike he, was always teaching is yes. what I'm saying. Oh, I'm, you he's know? still doing it to this day. Yes. But I, I mean Isaac Redmayne, think about it. He was the second string guy. If not if not really the third string tie with J D, Jonathan Dwyer. Yeah. Right? I mean there right. there was there was Mendy, he was taking the load. I don't know why. I mean the play worked, so it's fine. But why was it Isaac Redman out there, not Rashard Mendenhall? Was, was somebody injured? I couldn't remember. Was Rashard injured I for that game? I couldn't. I can't remember. I just can't. Because that was his like breakout season, Mendenhall. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't remember. Uh, maybe because it was a third down play, they went with third down back Isaac. Could be, you know? right? Or maybe I'm just suffering from ramnesia. You know, I mean, that's just maybe. the way it is. All right. So then we got that. And then we, the other thing we got to look forward to, TJ. Yes. The possibility and probability are the, the probably. Yeah, there I, we you gotta, go. Got to be more positive in it, but yeah, I'm thinking. You know, we got to see this. It's time for Mike Strahan's yes record to go, to go down. down. Yes. I was kind of nervous, and I'm sure you were too. After the Kansas City game, he had zero, and so you right. thought to yourself, he's got to get six and a half over Baltimore and Cleveland. That's it's not asking for a ton. Right. That's asking for about three, three and a half sacks per game if he wants to break the record. Right. I mean, that's not that's not a common every week type of thing. I mean, defensive player of the year, yeah, you can get three and a half sacks maybe once or twice in a year, but to ask for it back to back, that's asking for a lot. Then you go out and you get four in one game. That makes it a lot easier in week eighteen. You just gotta get one to tie it, one and a half to break it. And I know Tom told you this. Tom is, is trying to get the message out there to guys like Cam Hayward or, or Alex Highsmith. If they get to if they get to Huntley or <laughs> whatever first, hold them up a little bit longer <laughs> so that TJ can get some time, maybe add a half sack here or there. It's a great point by Tom. No question about it. But what? I don't think they I don't think he needs I don't think TJ needs Highsmith's or, or Cam's help at all. Well, you know what? I he's he, he's never needed anybody else. No. He's that that special of a pass rusher. But it's gonna be cool. It's going to be great. Hopefully, um, he's able to nail it early. The one thing, too, on. you got to consider is if he breaks the record, every year he's been in the NFL, his sack total has increased. I think his first season was seven, and that was the only time he's gotten less than double-digit sacks and went from seven to, like, 13 to, to 13 and a half to 14 to 15, and now here he is at, at what, 20 and a half. So does that mean – the record is just going to be broken year after year after year because every year he's been in the league, his sack inc- his sack total has increased. So that record is just going to keep going up and up and up. That's what I got to assume, right? <laughs> that would be nice. But, you know, again, that word assume. It's tough. It's <laughs> yes. tough. But I will say this now. The other thing is, and what we got to concentrate on too, is can, uh, can the Jacks beat the Colts in Jacksonville? And remember, they have not – beaten the Colts that is have not beaten Jacksonville in Jacksonville yet. since yeah since 2014 yeah, so, that, so that that not that's not just a bad Indianapolis team that that goes back to the Andrew Luck days so even with that that great mojo there I guess I, I had there's no something idea. about Duval and everything else going on down there it was Dale it was Dale Lolly who pointed it out to all of us and it's it's not just that they're losing I think the the first loss in 2015, I guess that would be because the Colts won in 2014. 
the final score was Jacksonville like 51 and Indianapolis like 20 or something. Ooh. It's a blowout. And so it's not just these close games, but it's not that out of hand. It's not that out of reach. You don't know because bad mojination can be bad mojination. And if you have, there are certain teams that just match up with others better than others. Now, you got to sit there and listen to the words of Trevor Lawrence and, you know, the fact he's thrown so many interceptions, yes. just under 20 or so, 17, 18. Not, not the rookie season we were all expecting him to have. Exactly. Well, you know what? Not the rookie season that Urban Meyer was expecting either. And I put that largely at his feet. But certainly you think about the Colts. They, they're one of the league leaders in, in takeaways. Mm-hmm. Um, that's disconcerting because you think, uh, you know what? One of the best secondaries versus one of the uh, young guys the that's word, having yeah, issues, right. shall we say. This is going to be a tough one. Yeah, it's going to be tough, Wolf. But, you know, can you explain the loss of the, by the Colts to the Raiders last week? I that, can't. That, that's a must win. Not, uh, that's, that's an easy win for the Colts, right? The, the Raiders, be. the Raiders have been dealing with issues on and off the field, as we know, all year long with, with John Gruden and, and Henry Ruggs with both of their off field issues, but they've somehow managed to stay in the playoff hunt. But you assume Indianapolis with Carson Wentz back from the COVID list and a healthy Jonathan Taylor, you would have assumed they could have run away with that game, but here the Raiders are They're kicking the game-winning field goal. You can't make sense of that, so you, you can't say never. I mean, if the Colts can lose to the Raiders, I know the Jaguars are a much worse team, but they haven't won there in a long, long time, so th- there, there's a chance. There is a chance. That's right. Never say no. never. You know, I like that, and it's going to be interesting and exciting to me. But uh, I want to thank you, Jacob, for hey, jumping man, thank in. Thank you for letting me let me co-pilot it. here. Hey, great job as always. And folks, we'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully, we've got Max Starks back in the locker room tomorrow. But if not, stay tuned because the ninjas are always around. <laughs> we'll be back.